0: Is locked and ready to fire, Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio with me, your host Flo, once again. So here we are with episode 28, The Alternative Factor. This, another episode that, I know, I keep saying this, but another one that, once again, I completely forgot existed. I had zero memory of this, and this entire podcast has made me realize how little attention I actually paid when I originally watched this show. And that's saying something, because I believe I've watched the original series at least two or three times over my life. And apparently, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. But anyway, we've got a really, really cool little episode. Well, it's not, it's not the best episode, I'll be honest. I did get bored at certain points. I found myself looking at my phone more during this one than normal. But, I wouldn't say it was a bad episode. Just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it didn't really hold my attention the way that some do. Now this one is a weird episode about interdimensional travel. Which is kind of interesting because that's not something Star Trek often covers. Like other dimensions are very rarely talked about. There's a fair bit of, and I mean a fair bit of time travel. We've already done a little bit and we're going to do a lot more. But as far as interdimensions go, that's not touched on too often. So it was interesting to see them having their first stroke into this. Now... This episode has a lot of, I think, biblical references. Now, I'm I'm not an expert at the Bible. I've read some of the stories before. Like, for me, this story is a real... Cain and Abel, I think their names are. The two brothers that fight all the time. It's, some, it's like an Old Testament story. But anyway, it's, this story is about a man named Lazarus, who is basically going through what Cain and Abel did, except because of the multi-dimensions crossing... He is fighting another version of himself. He basically describes... Sorry, I should start from the start. So, they're in a system, it seems like they're scanning the system, they're trying to work out, you know, what's going on, let's map the system. This is still... We've seen a lot of this in original Trek, of them actually mapping the galaxy, which is cool. Don't get me wrong, I I think that's really cool. I like that they're actually showing the day-to-day, the Federation is trying to gain knowledge about other systems, but... In this one, they're mapping a system, and then suddenly, as Spock puts it, it's as if reality or existence itself blinks in and out. He says, for that instant, for those few seconds when the entire universe seemed to blink in and out and everyone got a bit confused and disoriented, he looked through his scanner and the dead planet well, not dead, but it's like a planet with barely an atmosphere. It's very dry and deserty, and it seems that once upon a time someone might have lived here, but. At this point, other than a breathable atmosphere, it's barely habitable. I believe later on they would call these not quite D-Worlds, because D-Worlds are like demon worlds where you basically can't go without breathing gear. M-Worlds are like perfect worlds, and I don't remember what the middle part of that structure is, but they're like C or B-Worlds, whatever's in between. It's It's a world that has an atmosphere, you can breathe on it, but it's also not a world that you would write down on any kind of list. As, like, a place to colonize. This is a place where if your ship is screwed and you've got nowhere to go and it's the only planet within range, I mean, yes, theoretically you will survive down here for a short time. But it's not a planet you'd set up shop on. So, you know, it's not fully dead, but for those few seconds when existence blinks out, Spock says that he looked through their scanners because they were still scanning the planet when it happened. And he scanned, well, at, at first, before the existence blinked out, He scanned a regular dead world, no life forms, nothing special about it, just a desert world. During what they can only describe as existence blinking in and out, he said the world had zero gravity, zero atmosphere. It was as if for a split second, it did not exist. And then, even more interestingly, after he says that to the captain, he says, Captain, I haven't something else. There's someone down there. It appears to be a humanoid being. And it was not there a few moments ago before whatever happened. He seems to have appeared exactly as that existence, whatever that incident was, happened. And that, you know, obviously, I mean, that's such a mindfuck to even try and describe that as a captain, he turns around and Kirk's like, what the hell just happened? What do you mean existence blinked out? And You know, Spock describes, he says, whatever happened, it was as if nothing existed for half a second. Our has picked up the planet, but nothing about the planet was right. Nothing was normal. He says it's sort of unscientific and more of a speculation on his part, but he suspects, or the closest he can speculate to, is that it was some kind of tear in the universe. Almost as if the rules of a different dimension suddenly leaked in because everything that he understood about time and space and reality for that instant were not true. So the only thing he can speculate is that That must mean that if everything he understands in this universe was not true, that they were interacting with another one. So he speculates a rip between them. Which, funny enough, is basically 100% correct and is what exactly is going on. But at this point, that's just Spock speculating because he really doesn't know. He doesn't understand what's happened and that is his best speculation based on the logic. So they go down and they pick up this person, this man. And I will point out, and I, I even made a note of it, actually brings security when Spock tells him what's happening not only does he say I want to go down there and see who this person is but he actually says blatantly get me a security team armed to come down with me something that I will point out time and time again for the rest of goddamn Star Trek is something that not enough captains do quite often later on they'll bring their security officer with them but I still think bringing the head of ship security with you is not the same as bringing a security team. Again, I'll also say I get that they do it for the story, but realistically, you should not be sending your captain down to these types of things. Actually, whoever head of security is probably is the person who should go down. If, if you want to say maybe it shouldn't be just down as a security matter, then perhaps Spock should be going with them as the science officer to then report back with the reports from the science officer and the security team of exactly what they found. But no, this is Starfleet, so they're going to send down the captain with a lightly armed team so that if whatever it is is dangerous, they've sent their most important asset down there and the head of their ship to be the first one to face that threat. Because Starfleet are full of morons. (laughs) But anyway, they go down, they pick up this dude, and his name is Lazarus. And he looks mad. The The actor, the makeup artist, like everything about this character is so well done because he really sells being mad. The actor's got the eyes, he he manages to make them twitch and look all around in all the right ways to seem like someone who's unhinged. He manages to act insane just at the right moments. He's got this weird, very wispy beard. It almost looks like they've given him like a full goatee thing that like hangs off his face, but it's so light that you can tell that it's fake but there are also people like that we've all met someone who tries to grow a beard or a goatee and they just grow these really fine light hairs and it never really thickens and no matter how long they grow it it just kind of looks bad and that's what this guy has he's got this insane looking goatee he's got these mad eyes he's wounded from the moment they meet him he yells out to them get back I'm going to need your help, but you need to be careful. He's going to destroy us and everything, but together we can stop him. And then he acts as if his mind is in pain or like he's confused and he starts falling around and actually falls down a cliff and screams as he hits the back of his head on a rock. And as that was happening to him, the entire universe seems to blink in and out again. So immediately you're drawn to the fact that, yes, this Lazarus guy is connected to whatever's happening. Then... Well, actually, they get back to the ship, and I'll say, then something very interesting happens. Something that's also, I think, unique to this part of the show, to the original series, and that is, oh god, I wrote Code Factor 1, which apparently means Code Factor 1 alert came from the Federation, it doesn't actually say exactly who, I'm guessing Starfleet Command or Federation Command, but Code Factor 1, from what I can gather, means Invasion. Because Uhura turns to the captain and says, Code Factor 1 from Starfleet Command. And Kirk says, repeat. And there's kind of silence on the bridge. Like everyone's turning around looking at the captain and Uhura. Like, did she really just say that? He says, Code Factor 1, sir. And then he turns to the camera and invasion. Which is something, it's interesting. Because I don't think we ever actually hear Code Factor 1 later on. Like I know, Like I've said before, there are wars and conflicts that go on later on. And we do but later on they tend to use the like red alert system which they do seem to have here but they also have this weird factor system like factor one I don't know what that means I'm guessing factor two is like be on alert like a yellow alert like we're not sure what's happening there could be a threat and then red alert or go factor one is like yes there is a threat we are under immediate danger. They send a Code Factor 1, and then we actually got a really cool... Because um, we don't often get this on the shows. We got an Admiral. Or I think he was an Admiral. or He might have been a Commodore, but in any case, we got someone who was higher up in Starfleet Command contacting the ship. And he has a quick conversation with Kirk and says, What just happened to you happened all across the galaxy, and I can't really tell you exactly what it means, or how it works, or why it happened. But you're the only ship in the area... And everything we have tells us that whatever happened to the universe right now in existence flicked in and out is solely based on the planet that you are orbiting. We cannot send you any more ships because we don't know what this means. This could be a way to weaken us for an invasion. So the entire Federation is freaking out. Security forces and ships are flying around. He even mentions that they're evacuating within, I think he says 100 parsecs. Now, I don't actually know what a parsec is. A parsec, if I had to guess... Sorry, yawning. Uh, If I had to guess, a parsec is some kind of type of measurement. I've heard it brought up in a lot of sci-fis. I don't actually know exactly what a parsec is supposed to represent, though. Like, I know that there is a distance between Earth and the moon that has been measured, and I know that there's a word for it, although it escapes me right now, and I know they use that for measuring, like, distances between planets and stuff within solar systems quite often in real life. So I have to imagine a parsec is something like that. Maybe it's the distance between our solar system and the nearest solar system or something like that. And then they use that as a scale to work things out. I don't don't know. But whatever a parsec is, apparently 100 parsecs around that system are being evacuated. Of all Federation activity, all Federation staff and ships, fully evacuated. Because whatever it is, they fear that it's some kind of invasion coming from that region. And because of that, and all that evacuations and business they're doing, they don't have any spare ships to send to Kirk. Which is, you know, kind of bullshit. I happen to know that the real reason why they don't send ships is because back then, when they did the ships in space and all the shots, none of it was CGI. It was all done with models. They only had one model. They had the model of the Enterprise. And that's it. I think they had one other model of a uh, Krogan, completely wrong universe, not Krogan, Klingon. They had a Klingon ship, which we've seen before. But that's it. That's all they had. So they couldn't actually bring in more Federation ships because they didn't have the budget to build more models to actually have more ships on screen. So they had to come up with a story reason of why no more ships were coming. Fun bit of trivia about the show, but yeah, that's the real reason. Now, that does change soon enough. At some point, we will see more ships. But, like, yeah, they might have been able to do a secondary enterprise by doing some camera tricks and some mirror work, but it ultimately wouldn't have added enough to the story, and you probably wouldn't be sending just a warship. You'd probably send a few science ships and other things to back them up. (laughs) Supplementary ships, maybe even troop transports, but, like, that would be a whole different design, and they don't want to deal with that. So they're evacuating. Which also, that's huge. Like, not every star system is populated in the Federation, but many of them are. All over Federation space we see it all the time, there's like empty star systems with no planets you can live on, but almost all of them seem to have an asteroid base, or a moon facility, or some kind of network or experiment that's being done, like, evacuating a large area of multiple sectors, you're talking about millions of people, lots of ships, like, that is a big effort. You have to be seriously concerned before you would do something like this, this would be the equivalent of like America evacuating the east coast. Like, maybe the West Coast, because it's not quite as populated. But, like, still, it's a huge undertaking. This would be absolutely massive. In real life, it would probably cost trillions of dollars to do this type of thing. This is not something that any Authority does unless they are certain they are under danger or really worried that they are. So, you know, they're taking this threat very seriously, and they basically tell Kirk, Sorry, we can't send you anyone, and Kirk just says, So were the bait. And he says, Good luck, Captain. So, basically, yes. You're the bait. Enterprise, sort this out. If you don't sort this out, our next actions will be based on what happens to you, is basically what is unspoken there. Which must suck, but at the same time, you know, they are the flagship, and most people on that ship, they know what they sign up for, so that's their thing. Now, Lazarus goes on, he comes up to the ship, and immediately things are weird with him. He keeps having these incidents of kind of seems like insanity, but there's also this weird effect that they put every time the universe is like blinking in and out they put this weird effect on screen that kind of just seems like they're overlaying a red video or like a video that is completely out of focus or doesn't have the right coloring i don't really know how to describe but that's sort of what it feels like it feels like you're looking at the video and like your tv screen is broken or something and they're trying to overlay another show on top kind of like how when you used to tune old tvs you'd sometimes get those split instances where because it's flicking between channels as you're tuning, you would sometimes get like multiple channel signals coming in at once and you'd sort of see half of one show and another. That's kind of what they were showing on screen to try and show you that dimensions are currently clashing. Weirdly, it's not just another dimension. This is not like a multiverse type thing. This was more of, Our dimension being kind of like matter and antimatter. It was this idea of that's a negative universe where everything works the opposite to how it does here. So when we interact, it's like putting matter and antimatter together. Possibly very explosive, very dangerous. You know, so they're worried about it and it keeps happening and it keeps happening to Lazarus. And when it happens, the most interesting part, and as we learn throughout the episode, Lazarus himself, there's actually two of him. They're in the exact same position in space and time, just in different universes. And this is because he was developing what he tells us later. He lies a bit at first, but he ends up telling the truth that he was trying to develop a warp-like drive. A different-to-warp drive, but a similar idea. Where instead of skirting through through space, and basically breaking barriers with the way that the ship engine works, it would break through dimensions, being able to skirt through a corridor between them, where apparently they would be able to go faster. Very interesting concept, but unfortunately, he suffered a fault with his ship when he did it. And that was that the negative version of him was also trying to do this exact same experiment. And that negative him is basically just him from the other universe. And when their ships collided, they kind of fused. They did this weird like they joined the universes accidentally. And now he is the focal point of the two universes bleeding into each other. The problem is when that happens, it is like I said, it's like introducing matter and antimatter. is causing these blinkings of reality throughout the rest of the universe. Basically, he is endangering all of existence right now just by existing. Although, he doesn't admit to that at first. At first, he just keeps saying that he's going to kill you. He is a force of destruction. And to a point, that's true. In the negative universe, it does seem that the other Lazarus is more violent. He is actually trying to get out of here. He seems to be of the mind that he can just destroy this Lazarus and like hurt the people around until he gets back to his ship, fixes it with the... What do you call it? Because his ship's been damaged. That's the whole problem. He was traveling through this corridor, and then his ship got damaged, and it crash-landed on this planet. Now, when that happened... They weren't able to hold each other in place anymore. They weren't able to fight each other and stay in between universes and contain the damage. They started bleeding into each other's universes and destroying each other. Now our Lazarus is trying to stop this. He is trying to stop it. He's trying to control the other Lazarus. He's trying to use the ship in a way where he can contain him kind of like a prison to stop him hurting everyone. And stop him from causing problems. The other Lazarus has come to the mind where if he destroys our Lazarus, he will free himself from this eternal cycle of being stuck. So, that's why I say it's kind of like a Cain and Abel story where, I don't don't know their whole story, but they both make sacrifices to God, God favours one of them, they end up fighting for eternity because of their greed and lust for God's love. Kind of an ironic story of why lust and greed and expecting things is meant to be a bad idea. But it's also a story of two brothers who should be together fighting. Kind of like how Lazarus and his opposite self should basically be the same person working towards the same goal, but one of them has come to a vastly different conclusion of the same issue. And that's that they have to fight. So our Lazarus in return has decided that he can't actually destroy the other Lazarus because to do that would cause basically an antimatter explosion that could destroy all of time and space. However, he has determined that he can lock this other being using the ship into this weird reality between realities where they would basically be trapped eternally. And they determine, because when, when they're switching places, doing the medical checkups, they don't realise at first that there's two Lazaruses, so one of them is like calm and working with us, and then the negative one takes over. But he looks just like Lazarus in our time, when they actually fully switch, not when they're interacting. And when he's here... He becomes, he's the insane one. He's the one that his eyes are going everywhere and he's violent, he breaks out of medbay, he steals dilithium crystals because that's what he needs to fix his ship. Obviously, the negative one is trying to fix the ship so that he can escape, using it to get away from that Lazarus back to his time. A time where he can then return and kill the Lazarus at his own convenience. And our Lazarus is trying to get the captain to use the crystals to bait him out because he knows that that's what he wants to do and once he's baited out he will lock him into the ship and then the captain and the rest of the crew are going to destroy the ship locking them both in that between realities thing forever the problem is that they determine he won't die when the ship is destroyed all it'll mean is that the gateway between dimensions will be closed they will still be between dimensions when it is closed which means they will be stuck there forever This Lazarus is basically volunteering to be stuck between dimensions forever. Probably where he will not age, where time will not pass, and all the laws of physics won't work. He could quite potentially be wrestling his other selves for eternity. For multi-billions of trillions of years until the cold death of the universe, he will be between galaxies, fighting himself. Which, huge, huge sacrifice on his behalf. And, um that is exactly what happens. He ends up eventually like the other negative Lazarus tries to escape, our Lazarus sort of stops him and tells Kirk just enough to get Kirk involved once Kirk fully understands what's happening because if you're still listening at this point, you're probably just as confused as I was and I am now even trying to describe it about what the hell's happening because it is a real mindfuck of a story. But Kirk ends up working it out You know, as you probably have by now. And he's like, you're right. There's no other way out of this. He doesn't want to do this to Lazarus. He even says to Lazarus, like, do we have to do this? Isn't there another way? And like they think about it, they go over, but like, no, there's not. There is no other way out of this. And so he helps him. He goes back to his time, his dimension. And he fights that and Kirk fights that Lazarus throws him into the ship, or the time ship, or the dimensional ship, whatever you want to call it. He tells Spock and all the others to stay back, because he doesn't want them to touch and accidentally end up between realms before this happens, so he tells them all to stop, gives the order for them to stop, and he physically fights that Lazarus and throws him into the ship. At that point, he gets everyone transported up to the Enterprise, gets the phaser banks ready, and blows up the ship from orbit. At this point, Spock has worked out what it is that Kirk's doing, And he says, but sir, won't that trap that Lazarus there for eternity? And he says, yes. Yes, it will. But this was his choice. And Spock just kind of nods. And it's this almost sad moment where it's like, oh, that Lazarus wasn't a bad person. He was trying to experiment with something and he realizes that he nearly doomed the entire galaxy and now is deciding to sacrifice himself to protect it. It's kind of honorable in its own way, but also very tragic and sad. But anyway, that was that episode. Add a few little notes, like I pointed out, oh yes, we're on another arid desert planet. I feel like this is definitely a trope with the original show. Now, in saying that, this is something Star Trek does. They tend to find locations and they will use that location for years and years. Like, don't worry, when we get up to the next generation and Voyager and Deep Space Nine you'll see the Rocky Caves. In fact, I think you've already seen the Rocky Caves. In quite a few episodes, there are the Rocky Caves. I forget what that set was called, but there is a set that basically just looks like Rocky Caves, and they will use it for about the next 30 years. Every few episodes, it'll show up. They'll repaint it, they'll put different props in it, and they'll change it up, but it's the same set over and over, and if you watch enough Trek in a row, you start to notice the pattern. And this Desert World, I'm pretty sure this is the same Desert World from the first episode, I'm pretty sure this is the first, the desert world that we've seen in other episodes of Kirk and that being here. I actually think that this is the exact same set that he was fighting the lizard on. I can't remember the lizard species name. Now, the Gorn. This is, the I believe, the exact same set that the Gorn and Kirk were fighting. It was just a different light level and a different backdrop. But it's the exact same set. And it's hilarious when you're watching it. You start to notice these weird little patterns. And that, that's one of them. Another Arid Desert. So Arid Desert set is back. And Spock has a great... A, uh, a great um, quote in this. When they ask, well, when they're discussing what's happening between Spock and Kirk, and he tries to describe the other Lazarus, because they're trying to work out what's happening at first, and they're having a discussion about is Lazarus mad, or are there two Lazaruses? Is this a mixture of universes, or is this Lazarus just lying to us and he's actually insane and thinks that there's two? Because at start, you know, that is a legitimate concern. Is this man of sane mind? Can we believe what he's saying? He's at the center of what's happening, but that doesn't necessarily mean what he's saying is the truth. As they determine, it is. But at that moment, he's you know Kirk says, he seems mad, but what purpose would there be to lying? And and Spock just looks at him and says, madness has no purpose. And I don't know why, but I really like that. Madness has no purpose just feels like a beautiful quote that should be on shirts and all sorts of things. It's just, it's true. <clears throat> I used to work in um, a psych ward. And not everyone there is crazy. But there is absolutely some patients that come through that just... They are mad. Like, they are insane. It's really sad. It's not their fault for the most part. Some of these people are born like that. Some of them made mistakes and ended up like that. But it's not their fault. But they are mad. There are some people that are just beyond help. They are absolutely driven out of their mind. And for those people, when Spock says madness has no purpose, he's right. I've been around a lot of those people. They're not mad by choice. They're not mad on purpose. There doesn't seem to be any reason why they're mad, but they are mad. <clears throat> Without purpose, Like they still exist. So madness has no purpose is a really good quote. But anyway, thanks for watching. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, my goddamn throat today. What's wrong with me? Uh, so that was episode 28, The Alternative Factor. Kind of an interesting little interdimensional one. I enjoyed that. Next up, we're going to be watching A City on the Edge of Time. So that'll be the next discussion. And for whatever reason, I feel like I remember that title, but I can't remember what actually happens in this episode. So we'll find out. Bye for now.